that we normally have before the sermon and jump right on into the sermon. So I want to thank God again for giving us the Spearmans as awesome servants here in the Tidewater region. It's an awesome thing to see what God is doing. Also want to let everyone know that the Lafleurs, Nino and Merlene, who lead the church in Trinidad, are coming here to Hampton Roads next week. They will be here, okay? Uh, they'll be here for a total of roughly two weeks. They're going to take one week to um, go down to the ocean front and just completely disconnect. And then one week, well, they'll be with Leslie and I, and we'll be, you know, hanging out with them, encouraging them, and building them up before they go back. But the reason why I'm telling everyone is because you remember we took the change for the Caribbean, right? We did that instead of the penny wars. And so that money that we took. The little pennies and nickels that were stuffed in everybody's couch cushions and everything else. We took all that money and that's how Nino and Merlene are able to come. It covered pretty much all of the expenses in getting them here. So I just want to say thank you for giving. Thank you for giving. A little bit really does go a long way. As, as Nino and Merlene do well, then the church in Trinidad has a much better chance of doing well. And then obviously the church in Trinidad is the lead church in the southeastern part of the Caribbean. And so it really does impact the entire Caribbean. So thanks again for giving. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And if you have been uh, here with us, joining us for our sermon series here in Acts, we began at the beginning of the year. And we're actually on Paul's third missionary journey now. And he has spent three years in Ephesus. It's the longest time that he's spent anywhere in his travels. And this in Ephesus really is where I believe that Paul's ministry has, has reached its high water mark. It's where his ministry has reached its peak. And Acts chapter 20 begins to signal really the beginning of the end. Now, he is going to go back out again, probably as far as Spain on a fourth journey. And it will even be 10 more years before Paul is beheaded in Rome and dies. But after his time in Ephesus, things notably and noticeably change. And you can see how you can see it in these last nine chapters of Acts, how they're different from the first 19. Three quick things. One that's most notable is we don't hear about him planting any churches anymore. We know that he did go to, um, how do you say it? I can't say it. Anyway, it's modern day like Bosnia, Croatia, Albania. Uh, We know that he did go there, but Luke doesn't even record it. He makes a final visit to encourage existing churches and to say farewell. But again, no stories of new churches. The second thing is Paul's focus changes. We get a lot of travel details in this last part of Acts. And again, Luke isn't saying much about what's going on behind the scenes. And we're going to talk about that today. And the reason why is because just like when Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, you know that verse, Paul is doing the same thing. He's taking a laser focus because he's trying to get to Jerusalem. Both Jesus and Paul knew that trouble awaited them in Jerusalem. And the rest of Acts really becomes all about the trouble that Paul gets into in Jerusalem and how he ends up being imprisoned in Rome for the first time. And so this is the story that Luke is focusing on and that he's trying to tell. The last thing is that Luke's focus changes really to highlighting Paul's speeches. There's about six incidents of Paul speaking 
that Luke kind of builds the rest of Acts around. That's in Troas that we're going to talk about today. Um, Once before the Ephesian elders, the Jews in Jerusalem, he spoke before the Sanhedrin, he spoke before Felix, and then he speaks before Agrippa as well. And so this afternoon, let's take a closer look at some of the details and the backstory of Paul's journey to Jerusalem and see what we can learn. Uh, The title of the lesson this morning is Comfort in Troas. Let's pray and let's get into the Word of God. Father, you are our our great king. You're a sovereign God. No man pulls your strings. No man tells you what to do. Father, you live and you exist all on your own, outside of us and independently of us. And uh, we praise you for your great power and your great strength that's shown in our lives every single day. Without you, we would be absolutely nothing. And so we want to praise you, give you the honor and the respect that you are due And that you deserve for giving us air in our lungs, for giving us health in our bodies, for giving us families, for giving us your word, for giving us Jesus. Thank you so much for what you've been doing in the Spearman's lives. We thank you so much for raising them up as awesome servants in the church. We just pray that the heart of Jesus will continue to flow through them and through many of the other brothers and sisters here in our congregation so that all needs can be met, and so that we can all be built up into maturity under the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Let our hearts be open as we look at this passage um, here in the book of Acts. Help us to learn what Luke was trying to communicate. Help us to be inspired. Help us to be comforted from this incident that happened in Troas. We thank you, Father. Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 20, I'm just going to kind of and, and do this too. So keep one finger in Acts chapter 20 and then go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians as well. Okay? And you're, well, I'm just going to kind of flip through the both of these together and you'll see why here in a second. But here in Acts chapter 20, verse 1, it says, When the uproar had ended, referring to the riot that we talked about last week, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece. And so after this riot, Paul leaves Ephesus. Could you put up my next slide for me? The map? Here we go. So the the middle star is Ephesus. Uh, That's where Paul had spent those three, roughly three years. And so after that, he uh, begins to head into Macedonia, kind of in a counterclockwise direction. And he wants to go back to Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Uh, when we hear the, about Macedonia, really, Luke is talking about those three churches, and most likely, in particular, the church in Philippi. So it's during this time in Philippi that Paul writes 2 Corinthians. And so in 2 Corinthians verse 1, chapter 1, verse 8, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 8, Paul writes, and he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia, which really means Ephesus. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. And so Paul had a really hard time while he was there in Ephesus over those three years, but when you read it in Acts, 
You don't really get that. I mean, you get that the, the riot happened. Now, that must have been like, you know, epic. But you don't quite get what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians 1. Imagine what Paul might have been feeling as he leaves Ephesus, saying that he had great pressure far beyond his ability to endure so that he despaired of life itself. Imagine what he must have been feeling as he had made his way on into Macedonia. As he does that, we find out from 2 Corinthians now chapter 2, we find out that before he even gets to Philippi, he stops to preach in Troas, which is that third star in the upper left-hand corner. He stops there to preach and to wait for Titus, whom he had left in Corinth. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. And so this is something else that we see is going on. Paul had no peace of mind because he was missing his friend Titus, worried about Titus. And so while he was in Ephesus, Paul had been riding back and forth to the church in Corinth because the church in Corinth was messed up. There was division in the church. There was sexual sin in the church. They didn't like Paul anymore. They were critical of Paul and his ministry. We only have two of those letters that we call 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but there was at least one more letter. And so now even Corinth is on Paul's mind as he's making his way again in that counterclockwise direction from Ephesus through Troas into Macedonia. His goal is to get down to Corinth to deal with the situation there. So that's on his mind. He had initially planned to go to Corinth first, and then, kind of hard to explain this with my arms, but he had initially planned to go in a clockwise direction from Ephesus across the Aegean Sea directly to Corinth, and then up to Macedonia, and then circle back down again and visit Corinth twice. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 15. He says, because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. Talking about the Corinthians. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and then have you send me on my way to Judea. Later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that in order to spare them pain, he went to Macedonia first, but the church in Corinth didn't like that. They were upset with him because he had changed his travel plans. You go back and read 2 Corinthians, and they claimed that he was being fickle. So on top of all the other things that Paul was thinking and feeling that Luke does not record, this really hard time in Ephesus, no peace of mind in Troas, Corinth being on his mind, on top of that, he's being criticized by the church in Corinth for the way that he's conducting his ministry. Now in verse 2 of Acts chapter 20... I don't think I'm going to go back to 2 Corinthians anymore, so you can close that part. Acts chapter 20, verse 2, he says, He traveled through that area speaking many words of encouragement to the people. Isn't this amazing? Despite all the things that Paul is going through, all the pressures, all the hardships, all the criticisms that he was receiving, he was still very outward focused. He was still focused on loving his brothers and sisters. He was thinking, I've got to finish the race. I've got to help the churches to grow. And so he gets to these different churches and all he can do is encourage, encourage, encourage. Churches need encouragement. 
Paul's strategy was clear. It was to go to a town, preach the gospel, organize a church, appoint elders, move on, and then support those churches by prayer, writing them letters, visiting or sending some of his trainees to be with them. He was concerned about individual disciples, yes, but his focus was on the strengthening of the churches as a whole. So Paul was a church planter, church builder. Paul was a church supporter. And all for the purpose of church duplication. It was all for the purpose of saving souls. His goal was that when I leave these churches, some of these I'll never come back to ever again. I want to leave something that will continue to grow, that will continue to plant other churches so that the gospel can be spread. That was his plan. And Paul knew that this might be the last time he gets to speak to some of these brothers and sisters. And so he speaks Many words of encouragement to them. Mind you, these, all the Macedonian churches were no more than seven years old in the faith. They were grappling with the Jew-Gentile controversy. You know, how can Jews and Gentiles coexist in these new churches? And so they needed encouragement. They needed encouragement to be strong, encouragement to persevere, encouragement to stay faithful to Jesus and to live lives worthy of the calling in Jesus after Paul was gone. And churches still need encouragement today. We need encouragement here in Hampton Roads. We need encouragement here in Tidewater. And sure, we've sent leaders out and it's affected the church, but new leaders are up and coming as we speak here in our church. God is with us. This is still his church. He hasn't turned his back on us. He cares for us just like he did in the beginning. He watches over us. Psalm 121 says he's our shade. At our right hand, he will not let our feet slip. And yeah, the world and its patterns feel like they're caving in on us every single day. But there's culture changing work that God wants done in Hampton Roads. Needs that he wants us to meet. Souls that he wants to use us to save. Are you with me? And so let's be faithful. Let's persevere in what we know to be true. And we will not be disappointed in the end. Amen. Amen. And so finally, Paul gets to Greece. Verse three, it says where he stayed three months. When the Bible says Greece, Luke says Greece, he means Corinth. And it's funny because while he's in Corinth, that's where he writes Romans. Now, go back, read first and second Corinthians. There was so much drama with this one church. And you could just imagine that when he finally gets there, there must have been some sparks flying when he got there. Because I know he was hammering some people. He was discipling people. People might have gotten kicked out. Who knows what happened while he got there? Luke doesn't say anything about it, which is like so amazing to me. And while Paul is staying in a church that did not want to give him any grace, he writes the most magnificent letter ever all about grace. How does he do that? Again, verse 3 says, Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. And so his goal was to get to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. So his plan was to leave Corinth, the original plan, Again, look at the map. I hope I'm not confusing everybody, but he, he, he makes the loop counterclockwise down to like, what is that? Eight o'clock, right? To, to Corinth. The original plan was to keep going from Corinth, get in a boat and head on out to Jerusalem. That was the original goal. 
But there were some Jews that wanted to kill him. They always want to kill Paul. And as he's going to Jerusalem, he was going there for the feast. He was going there for Pentecost. And so the Jews would have been getting on all of these ships going to Pentecost because all the men had to be there for the high holy days, right? And if there was a plot afoot, they were probably thinking, well, I mean, we're all going to be in this crowded boat. We're going to be in the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, really, guys, how hard would it be for us to just throw Paul overboard? No one's going to know. But Paul finds out about this plot. And instead of taking the boat across, he goes back up through Macedonia again. And he will end up taking another ship later. And so that brings us to uh, the uh, sorry, middle part of verse 3. Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. Here in verse 4 it says, He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. And so we see a list of seven men that he was traveling with, and we also see more of his motive for making this journey. It was to take this collection. Um, there was a, the famine that was going on in Judea at the time. Paul, uh, the, the, the different churches that Paul had planted, they had each established a representative to take a financial gift from their church to the church in Judea. And these guys that we just read here in, in verse whatever that is, four, these seven guys, these were Paul's co-workers, representatives, but also guys that he was training. And so they're going from church to church and they're gathering these collections from the churches as they go so that he could go back to Jerusalem and give the gift to the churches in Judea. This is also where we get our ever famous passage in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that talks about giving. And the passage does not describe a weekly offering, okay? But it does paint a very good picture of how financial giving should be. Sacrificial, not under compulsion, voluntary, cheerful, faithful that God has given to us and, and that what we have is not just for ourselves, but it's for others. And also with the, output, the outlook and the perspective that we cannot outgive God. That's right. All that's there in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, but I, I told you we're not going to go back to 2 Corinthians. <laughs> and so... We have this mixture of men that are traveling with Paul, and they're all from these different regions. So let me get back to my notes here. Sopater, Aristarchus, and Secundus were Macedonians. Gaius and Timothy were from Derby and Lystra, which is the Galatian churches. Tychicus and Trophimus were Asians, meaning they were from Ephesus and the environs. Luke says that these guys went on ahead and waited for us, he says, in Troas, verse 5. And so Luke interjects himself into the traveling party. So there's a total of at least eight of them. And in verse 6, it says, But we sail from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Most of these men that are mentioned were mentioned in other parts of the New Testament, Paul was always pulling people, always building unity, always training people, always thinking about the next generation. And so that's why these guys are traveling with him. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, 
I think that you should be asking God to bring someone into your life, some man, some woman that you can train, that you can help, that you can entrust to the things that entrust the things as God has taught you. I think I'm saying that right. I encourage you to look for fat people. Oh, Tony, you know how politically correct we are. You're not supposed to say the word fat. I don't mean fat in terms of weight. I mean fat in terms of faithful, available, and teachable, okay? Faithful, available, and teachable. These guys, you guys were scared for a minute, right? Like, Tony is totally off the deep end. I still got it together. I'm okay. People that you want to to train have to be faithful people. They got to be walking with God. Okay, they have to be available, meaning they're willing to make time to get together and they must be teachable. In other words, humble, willing to listen, willing to follow. You cannot be a great leader until you're first a great follower. We're going to have our younger generation midweek. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but we're going to have a midweek where we, we hear from the younger generation and hear what would they do to spread the gospel in Hampton Roads more effectively. That's going to come up on Wednesday, November the 3rd. So be praying about that. But that's an opportunity for this next generation to be trained and to be raised up. Uh, as I go on here, it says they waited until after the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And they met the other guys at the rendezvous point in Troas. And so we know that uh, it was the springtime because the Festival of Unleavened Bread coincides with Passover, which is roughly our Easter. So we know that that's sometime in April or something like that. Anyway, only one point this morning. That was all just kind of, you know, just stuff, you know, just kind of, you know, here's some stuff. I just got one point this morning. And it's the same point as the title, Comfort in Troas, okay? Chapter 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. And so Luke skips over so much, but he stops to give us detail about what happened here in little old Troas. And this one little old incident of a guy falling out of a window. A couple things to consider. One, here we get a glimpse into a first century gathering of disciples. And there's about four different aspects that we see. One is it takes place on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Saturday is the Jewish Sabbath day. The first day of the week is Sunday. 
And we got to ask, why would those who are converted Jews change their meeting day after hundreds of years of tradition of meeting on a Saturday? Well, it's because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day. And I believe, I might be wrong, but I believe that all of Jesus' recorded appearances in the gospel after the resurrection happened on the first day of the week. I could be wrong. If it's not all, it's definitely most of them. And so this change alone is proof of the resurrection. How are you going to get a Jew to not worship on the Sabbath, but to worship on the first day of the week instead? Again, it was because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day. And this is why we worship on Sundays. Does that mean that Sunday is the only day that you can worship? No. Does that mean that Sunday is a particularly holier day than any other day? No. We worship according to tradition on Sunday as well, because the early disciples chose to worship on this day, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when we get together on a Wednesday night, does that mean that we're bad or wrong or in sin because we've prayed, sang some songs and preached on a Wednesday night? No. Every day is unto the Lord. Not just Sunday. Every Christian is a priest and unto the Lord. Not just whatever the, the, I don't know, the holy ones or I don't know what you think about ministry staff. I'm not holy anyway, but... I'm holy in the, in the spiritual Bible way. I am. According to Jesus' blood, I am holy. Thank you. I need that. I need that. I need that encouragement. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? I'm not, <laughs> not holy in the sense that whatever the world might think that I'm holy. Anyway, the second thing that characterized this meeting was... Paul speaking to the people. He he taught, he preached, he spoke a sermon to them, and it was a long one. He went on until midnight. Now consider, if they would have started after sundown, which they probably would have done, because people work from sunup to sundown, right? He would have started after sundown, let's just say 7 o'clock. He goes until midnight. How long of a sermon is that? It's a five-hour-long sermon. And I'm wrapping up in less than 10 minutes here, okay? Five-hour-long sermon from Paul. Now, about every six months here in our church, we have an extended time of teaching on different topics. And we go from 7 to 12 midnight, on, typically on a Friday night. We call these Troas nights. And this is why we call them Troas nights. That's it. But again... I told you in the beginning that Luke focused on these speeches of Paul, right? And so Paul speaking or this speech really is the focus of this issue with Eutychus. Paul speaking is referred to four different times. Verse 7, Paul spoke to the people. Later on in the verse, it says he kept on talking until midnight. Um, Later on, it says that he talked on and on in verse 9. And then even after Eutychus is raised, it says that in verse 11, he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. A lot of talking going on in this meeting. You know, we can't move from the preaching of the word to um, 
highlighting emotional experiences when we get together. The singing is marvelous, awesome. Josh, you guys do, where is Josh? Wherever he is, right there. You guys do a fantastic job. Thank you so much for leading us in, in worship and in singing. From time to time, we even have testimonies within the church. We've got Tidewater dancers, you know, that are, that are in the church now. All those things are awesome, but they can never, ever replace the preaching of God's word. Amen? Because the word of God has the power. The third thing that we see is the breaking of bread. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And then verse 11, it says, then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And so in the first century, a meal and remembrance of Jesus were celebrated at the same time. It was all together. It was a time of fellowship. It was a time of growing closer to each other in love as they remembered Jesus. And so a lot of times we take, not a lot, most times, Every time we take communion, our mindset tends to be, it's just me and you, God. I'm in my tunnel right now. And I'm just going to pray to you. No one else needs to hear or know what I'm doing right now. That was not communion in the first century. It was like all of us together like, hey, you know, give, let's dip some of that bread in the olive oil and give me some of that hummus and where's the vegetables? And how are you doing, bro? How's your relationship with God? And, oh, wasn't Jesus awesome? And it was a, it was a communal thing. Yes. Yes. How I wish that we could have enough food on every Sunday morning to just do that. It's not practical. And so we do have a token communion, which is. And the bread's good. Our bread is pretty good here. The bread is good. <laughs> and the juice that we take. I, I, just want to, I just want to encourage us that... Think about how you can make communion communal. Okay? You don't always have to pray just alone. On, I mean, grab the other person next to you. Pray together. It's okay to talk during communion. It's okay to say, hey, what, what do you remember most about Jesus that's encouraging or inspiring to you? And you guys kind of sharing that back and forth. That's totally okay. It doesn't have to be like dead quiet. Because that's not what it was like. And that wasn't the purpose of it. Let me keep going. Fourth, because I said it'd be done in 10 minutes. Fourth, there was fellowship, right? Fellowship. It says... In verse 11, then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate after talking until daylight. This word talking is different from the talking in verse 7. The talking in verse 7 is more dialogue. He's, he's preaching, he's teaching. The Greek for this talking here is more informal talking. He's talking about fellowship. And many times after we have a sermon, you know, we'll, we'll sit around and we'll, we'll talk about it. That's exactly what was going on here. And this fellowship went on until daylight. And so I don't know if you're thinking about Acts 2.42 at this point. But I am because it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And I'm sure in this meeting in Troas they prayed at some point. And so this is what should be happening when Christians gather. May we never lose our devotion to the preaching of the word. Connecting to one another in fellowship, remembering Jesus and praying together to our God. Amen. Amen. 
And so I arrive at Eutychus, because I know everyone's thinking, when's he going to talk about Eutychus? We can't skip him. It gives me great comfort as I look out at the sleepy eyes of our teenagers right here. It gives me great comfort that people fell asleep even on the great Apostle Paul. It was not his fault that Eutychus fell asleep. Paul was not boring. Paul was not irrelevant. No. Even with the best of preachers, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Amen? I remember in eighth grade, I I fell asleep in class. I fell asleep. uh, The bell rang, and then a whole new class came in. The teacher was still the teacher, right? And she was still teaching the same subject. So I wake up. And I try to play it off like I wasn't sleeping. So I'm listening to the teacher. She's teaching the lesson, which I just had. So I'm thinking everything. And I was sitting in the front. So I didn't look behind me. I'm just sitting there. And she's teaching. And she's kind of just chuckling. And she's grinning. And I'm just like, what is she laughing at? And she keeps looking at me. And then I hear people in the back starting to laugh. And they're chuckling. I look around. And it's a whole new class. I'm like, what in the world just happened? So I'm like, I'm like, oh man, I'm so embarrassed. I got my books and my book bag. I got up. I went to my next class, and many of them were in my first class. They knew that I'd fallen asleep, so they were waiting for me to come into class. So I was embarrassed all over again once I made it to my second class. But Sundays were work days in the Roman Empire, okay? And since this was an evening meeting, this young man probably had worked all day long. He was tired. On top of that, it was springtime. The weather was getting warmer. The Bible says that they had many lamps in that upstairs room. And you know what it's like when you're tired and it's hot someplace, right? You just start to get drowsy. And so he's sitting in the window, either because A, it was so crowded and he had no place else to sit, or he's just trying to get some fresh air, maybe. And as he falls into a deep slumber, he suddenly disappears from the window. And a faint thud is heard as he hits the ground. And there may have been some shrieks and crying there too from people that saw him fall from a third story window, which is pretty high up. Luke is clear that he was dead. He was dead, but Paul goes down, he throws himself on the young boy, puts his arms around him, And Paul brings him back to life through and by the power of God. Amen? Amen. Eutychus means fortunate or lucky. And he definitely was lucky that day. And so why does Luke skip everything that we talked about earlier but stop to expand on this event in Troas? Is it to make the point of don't fall asleep in church? No, I don't think that was his point. Was it don't preach long sermons? No, I don't think that was the point either. But this resurrection miracle that Paul performs is reminiscent of some other situations in the Bible. 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah does something very similar. Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4 does something very similar. Jesus in Mark chapter 5 raises a a girl from the dead in a similar way. And Peter in Acts chapter 9 does something very similar with Dorcas. When he raises her from the dead. And so I believe that Luke tells the story to defend and validate Paul's apostleship and to validate Paul's words. All miracles 
are incredible, okay? But resurrections were exceptional because they showed God's power over death itself. And even though Paul was abnormally born into being an apostle, his words were to be listened to just like the greatest prophets and apostles' words were to be listened to. And this miracle was a testimony to that. The point was not the miracle of Eutychus. It was that the, what the miracle confirmed, which was Paul's message in this first speech. And these young disciples in Troas would have needed confirmation of what Paul was saying. It was a young church. They needed to know that Paul's many words could be relied upon because Paul was going to be leaving. He had only spent a week with them in Troas, and they needed to know that Paul's words could be trusted. And so we aren't sustained by miracles and faith healings. We're sustained by the word of God. Amen? Amen. And so it says that they went home comforted. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. The people were comforted because resurrections are always for the living. They're never for the person that got resurrected. Those guys that died and came back to life again, I'm surprised that they didn't wake up complaining. Like, hey, why'd you bring me back? I was having a good time. But it's always for the people that are there. The Shunammites, uh, the Shunammite woman whose son had died, right? Elijah brought him back to life for her. Jesus had brought the daughter back to life for her parents. You know, Peter had brought Dorcas back to life for all of her friends that were crying. Eutychus brought back to life for the disciples that were there. And so as they said goodbye to Paul, probably for this last time, they were comforted because they could trust Paul's words about the Lord who brought Jesus back from the dead. So are you comforted by the fact that God can raise the dead? I pray that we're all comforted by that fact, by that truth. Realizing that God can resurrect the dead should bring us splendid peace. It should bring us profound security. Because if he raised Lazarus, Dorcas, and Eutychus, then at the last day, he can raise us. We can be brought back to life too. Up from those shallow graves to... Meet Jesus and the Lord and be with him forever, right? So I encourage you, tell somebody this funny story this week. Ask them, hey, you ever fall asleep in church before? Because everybody has. And if you're asleep right now, that's okay. But tell them, you know what? This Sunday our preacher talked about this guy, Eutychus, that fell asleep in church and fell out of a window and died. You know, the Apostle Paul brought him back to life again. Do you believe that God can raise people back from the dead? Great way to talk about Jesus. If the thought of the last day does not bring you comfort, but makes you uncomfortable instead, then sit down and open the Bible with us. Read the confirmed words of Jesus Christ and the apostles that can be relied upon and that can be trusted. Learn about what the Son of God did for you when he suffered, when he died on the cross, as he was buried and as he rose again from the dead. Repent. Be baptized and be comforted. So as this new chapter in Acts begins, Paul focuses on getting to Jerusalem. Lots of things are going on in Paul's life, but Luke only chooses to record a few things. 
And in Troas, it was Paul's words about the resurrection confirmed by the resurrection of Eutychus. This brought great comfort. May the resurrection of Jesus comfort us into all that we tell. Not in Troas, but here in Hampton Roads. Amen? I forgot. We're having a baptism. So I would like to invite Nancy Carter, who's going to be baptized and become our new sister here. And Marcy. And Eugene, because this is Eugene's daughter, by the way. Come on up and share. Four years in the making. <laughs> uh, a couple of verses I want to uh, share with you guys. <clears throat> and it's going to confirm, uh, reveal something about my own self. In Mark chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Uh, after God had brought his son to the disciples and they couldn't do anything with him, he was possessed by a demon. He brought him to Jesus. And uh, he had a little conversation with Jesus. And one thing he said, if you can do anything, if, what do you mean if? Another person say, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believe. Mm-hmm. Now, this guy was, a, he was desperate. He went to the disciple and he came to Jesus. And I can relate to him. Um, now, the response to the father, from the father, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's exactly who I am. Yeah. I believe, but there's a certain part of me that just don't believe. And that is reality. But the thing about it is being real, being true. Because, in fact, it's not only with me, it's with all of us. We believe to a point. But then, there's a part that we don't believe. And uh, one verse that always stuck with me, because I was part of the crowd that uh, that asked Jesus to come into my heart and live. You know? And I had a faith in Jesus, but I was lacking in complete knowledge. Well, I don't have complete knowledge now, but I was lacking in some knowledge. And one of the verses that was my cornerstone was Romans chapter 10, verse 9, which reads that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, when I first heard that verse, and somebody gave me the opportunity to invite Jesus into my heart. I jumped at it. Uh, <clears throat> now, that was the foundation of verse with my daughter, too. But then I had to come back and tell her that Daddy wasn't complete in all his knowledge. And that was the hardest thing for me to do. That's when I became a disciple. And so, 23 years later, 
God worked. God was patient. He allowed me to keep praying, keep talking, keep nagging, and whatever else I had to do. And today is going to come full circle. And my daughter's going to be baptized. Congratulations on the decision you make. Um, that was very brave, and you know I watched you over the years go back and forth with Eugene, and you know with him trying to tell you the truth about the gospel, and um, you know you fight back and forth, but you're always bringing it back to Jesus, bringing it back to the Word, and um, you persevere. You came, you study, you 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 left because somehow you feel you weren't getting connected. But you came back. You keep coming back. And you know that you were seeking Jesus. And you, you let us know that you're seeking. And you were seeking with all your heart, like the scripture calls you to do. And so you finally got to the end of your journey. You got the finish line. So congratulations. And um, good job. Great job. Thank you. I just want to share quickly um, the just how proud I am of you and how um, when we were together the other night, just really talking about being cut to the heart. And um, I saw you repentance Friday night, just like instant. And um, I appreciate you calling and, and, um, and making the decisions that you've done. And I'm proud of you. Love you. And I just want to share real quick um, a scripture with you because this scripture reminds me of you. Uh, in verse John 4, 8, it says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fear is not made perfect in love. And this is what I met when I met you, a woman that was very afraid, just like I was one day, you know, afraid to love, afraid to open your heart because you have been hurt and you didn't want to risk it anymore. But I love that it was God's love who has allowed you to say not to fear and instead to be faithful in that faith. Because of that faith, you can be here and you can accept God's love for you and that love will make you perfect in his eyes. So welcome, I'm very excited for you. Hi. I didn't hear anything. Don't, don't preach. Um. I'm my father's daughter, so I'm going to try to cut it short. <laughs> um, I, like, I, I've been through a long journey like everybody. You know, I'm still going through a lot of stuff right now. And um, I think, I've, like, I, I prayed Jesus into my heart when I was little. And through my life, I've craved him. And I've read my scriptures. And I've, you know, and I was confused. And at a certain point, I was, you know, told some terrible things about the church here, and I, you know, I love my dad, and it made me sad to see him want something that I was not sure about, and I was so scared to make the wrong decision with God that I didn't realize that, you know, that anyway, long story short, I got to a point where I was, you know, I was recently diagnosed with breast cancer in May, and I was at home, but then I had to leave home because my husband didn't want me there. And so I fought through, and I, you know, I got sick during my cancer, and I had to go to the hospital and stay there. I didn't know I was in isolation for like two days because I'm so ditzy. 
But um, then they, they explained it to me, and I understood, and I just worshiped God in that room. And then God, I realize now that I'm not, I'm not mad at my breast cancer. I'm not mad at my husband. You know, I'm, I got to where I am today because of those things, because I believe that God had to put me in a place where I was completely by myself, no job, nothing to focus on but him. And then that's how he kind of, I'm sorry, <laughs> That's how he drew me into him. Amen. And, and it's not easy to study with Because <laughs> she, she tells you the truth, whether you want to hear it or not. And I don't know how many times all I could say was, all I could do was sit there and go like this. Mm-hmm. 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 And in my head, I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, like, like I am like dying on the inside, which is good. <laughs> but I kept listening and I kept going to God. And she would say, go talk to God. And I'd be like, okay, <laughs> fine. And so I would go back and I would, you know, talk to God. And I would just tell God, you know what? I, yeah, I, you're going to have to humble me, but I'm going to keep going. But I'm imagining, I'm praying that you're just going to do it as we go. Because if I wait to be not so prideful, because I'm very prideful, I know what I know, like, especially about the Bible. I, you know, <laughs> she saw me the other day when I had to flip through the table of contents. And I, and I thank you. <laughs> Because that is like the most painful thing in my heart to have to go to the table of contents in front of anyone in the Bible. <laughs> but I did it, thank God. And, and that was painful. That's you didn't say anything. <laughs> but long story short, I, she, like God really blessed her. And Jay and, and my dad and Maxine, I just want, the reason I'm pointing out um, Marcy here is because she was such a blessing to me. You know, everyone who's been involved, like Leslie came to talk to me and Jay and, and um, Roxanne and, you know, so anyway, but what, studying with her was good for me because she's so much like me in a way. You know, I think we're a lot alike in a way. And, and we have similar life stories, you know. So it's, it was good, it was a blessing to have that. So anyway, long story short, um, I believe that I'm gonna get it right this time. So, <laughs> so, Nancy, we got a couple questions for you. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus came to earth, led a sinless life? was crucified for your sin, was dead and buried, and was raised on the third day for your justification. Do you believe that? Uh, yes. And I, <laughs> I know you do. And <laughs> what is your good confession? That Jesus is Lord. <laughs> I'm now authorized to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You will get the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you'll be added to the church of God. Amen. Please join us um, on the baptism after the end of service because um, of her health. 
it's going to be a quick in and out of the water. Um, so we do appreciate it. You guys wait for the whole, the hugs and all the encouragement after she's changed and pray that everything is fine because it is cold outside, but amen. God will take care of it. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, 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 we got to pray. We're going to pray. <clears throat> Lord God, I thank you for just being patient with us, God. Lord, you wanted my daughter to be saved way more than I did. And God, I waited 24 years. How long have you waited? You waited for me and you waited for all of us. Well, I thank you for just being a wonderful and a wise God. And I pray, God, that we can have the same patience and the same love for each other that you have for us. And God, I just thank you for all these things. In Christ's name, for his sake and for his glory. Amen. 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 Uh, please stand if you close out with one final song. Cain is praying.